What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 14 of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. I'm Dan Ball. And I'm Matt McAuliffe. Matt McAuliffe, it is great to hear your voice again, man. Yeah, I know. It's been a uh, winter break is always bittersweet because I love Quinnipiac so much, so I hate leaving it. But it's always good to come home for holidays and really uh, spend that quality time with your family for sure. So, uh, yeah, what would you do over that, that winter break? We've been apart for a couple of weeks now. Yeah, I had a Christmas Eve at my aunt's house, Christmas Day is at my house. And um, again, it's just quality time because when you're at school, you're, you're gone, what, six or seven months out of the year. So you got you to gotta take in every second when you're at home. Yeah, I, I feel that exact same thing. I, I tried to use as much time with the family as possible. Uh, Christmas Eve, yeah, I was at my, my great aunt's house a couple towns over, and then we go up to my uh, great uncle's house up in the middle of nowhere, Connecticut. But um, yeah, no, it's been a, it's been a nice little break. Uh, but of course, the podcast never sleeps, so we are back here. We, uh, we have two weeks right now until we get back into uh, semester number two at Quinnipiac. So what we're doing here, Matt McAuliffe, the man, he recorded two uh, two interviews with people before we started break. So while we were putting out regular episodes with athletes and coaches, Matt recorded two interviews. We're going to get those to you this week and next week, and then be back with new episodes when we start up with the second semester. But of course, the athletic department didn't sleep over break. So let's get to the week that was in Quinnipiac Athletics. <laughs> All right, we're going to start with the women's hockey team. They got underway with their first series since the winter break, and they swept that series on the road. They started off with a 5-1 win on Friday night at Dartmouth. Sarah Ev Kotugadbu had two goals, while Katie Tabin, Melissa Samuskevich, and Randy Markon all scored. The next day, the Bobcats headed up to play Harvard, and they beat them 1-0 to finish the sweep. Melissa Samuskevich had the only goal of that game, while Abby Ives picked up her fourth shutout of the season. For her efforts, Abby Eyes was named the ECAC Goalie of the Week for the third time in her career, and she's only a junior, so we don't even know what's going to come up uh, next for her over, over the next year and a half. But she stopped 58 of 59 shots that she faced, picking up two wins and a shutout. So the Bobcats are cooking right now after the winter break. They are back in action this weekend with games at number nine Colgate on Friday and then at number four Cornell on Saturday. So a big weekend against ranked teams for the Bobcats women's hockey team. Yeah. And I, I went to the game at Harvard and it was a, it was a grind. It was a grind of a game. Abby Ives was all over the crease. She looked really good. And obviously Samo is so, so fast, dude. She is like former guest. No big deal. Uh, <laughs> She just, you can tell as soon as she hops on the ice that she is faster and has a higher IQ than the rest of the players on the ice. And it's, it, that's two goals for her over the weekend. And, you know, I, I've had the, the honor to do some of their games during the course of the season. And, you know, myself and Phil Jubileo, we always say that as soon as Samo started to pick it up and started to get hot, that was really when this women's hockey team was going to get hot with her. So it's fantastic to see that. And again, the women's hockey team is back in action on the road this weekend with games at Cornell and at Colgate. Now for the men's side of the ice, the Bobcats picked up a point in league action this past weekend. They dropped Friday night's game in overtime by a score of five to four. Wyatt Bongiovanni, William Falstrom, Scott Davidson, and Odin Tufto, they all scored for QU. Then the Bobcats tied Cornell the following night by a score of two to two. 
Freshman Peter DeLiborte and Ethan DeJong both scored the Bobcats. And they check in at number six at the USCHO polls and the USA Today national rankings this week. And number five in the Parawise fan. Keep an eye on that Parawise. That's the important one when it comes to the national tournament. But Andrew Shortridge was the real star for this team this entire month. And he got a national recognition for it. He was named the Hockey Commissioners Association Goaltender of the Month for December. Shortridge is Quinnipiac's first national monthly award winner this season since Michael Garchig, who played in 2016 and got that award in November of 2016. Overall, Shortridge is the fifth Quinnipiac men's ice hockey player to earn this national monthly award. Shortridge did not allow a goal in the entire month of December. Wild. He led the nation with a 0.00 goals against average and a 1,000 save percentage. Saved them all. He saved every single puck he saw. (laughs) 51 saves on his way to a 2-0-0 record. He recorded a 32-save shutout, which was then against the number one UMass back on December 7th, before kicking off the second half of the season with 19 saves in 55 minutes of ice time and a 6-0 shutout of Coldgate. The Bobcats are back home this weekend in games against Dartmouth on Friday night and Harvard on Saturday night. More ECAC play to come. And they've been so, so good. You know, they, they had a kind of a tough weekend by their standards this weekend, uh, picking up a point out of a possible four in ECAC play at home. But I mean, you know, as, as long as Andrew Shortridge continues to cook at the rate that he has this entire season, you know, he's leading the nation right now in goals against and save percentage. And he does that in December, doesn't give up a goal on 51 saves. I mean, you know, as long as you have a, a goalie like that and a defense that continues to lead the nation in points scored, I mean, this this team starts from the goaltending through the defense up, and as long as those two groups continue to do what they do, they're they're going to continue to be successful and roll in the ECAC. It's going to be scary. It's going to be scary. So switching over to hoops, the women's basketball team are off to a two and zero start in the MAC so far. They're outscoring opponents one seventy one to 81 in those two games so far so you know they they had their wins and losses they traded wins and losses during the non-conference schedule but I mean they've been dominant in the MAC and continue to do so uh their league opener was against Fairfield last Thursday they won that game by a score of 81 to 36 Taylor Hurd led the way with 19 points including five from seven from or five for seven excuse me from three-point range Quinnipiac then took down St. Peter's on Sunday afternoon by a score of 90 to 45 so two 45-point wins for the Bobcats. Brittany Martin led the charge this time with 19 points as well. She was 5-for-8 from 3. The Bobcats are on the road again tomorrow afternoon at noon when they play a game at Marist before returning home for a game on Saturday afternoon at noon against Monmouth. So I'll be on the road with this team to Marist. It's going to be a uh, a good matchup because this, these two teams have met in the MAC Conference Finals more than once. And it is always an entertaining game between those two. So make sure you uh, you keep an eye out for a little extra content coming from the uh, women's basketball team and our boy Matt McAuliffe over the next week. Now the men's basketball team. The Bobcats won their league opener last Thursday with a road win at Manhattan. They won by a score of 63-59. to Cameron Young, he led the charge with points, while Travis Atson had 13 off the bench. Pretty impressive. The Bobcats dropped game two of the league schedule by a score of 72-67 to 67 on the road at Ryder. Cameron Young again had 
led the team in points. He had 24 points to go along with nine boards. Now the Bobcats begin a four-game homestand starting tomorrow when they host Monmouth at 7 p.m. They will continue the homestand on Sunday afternoon against the Fairfield Stags. And make sure you keep an eye out for a little more content, too, coming from the men's basketball team. So they're home. Make sure you get out to the People's United Center and watch them play because uh, Baker Dunleavy's got something cooking over there, Matt. Former guest on the podcast, and uh, you can see he's starting to build something there in that MAC conference. He is. And when you pick up road wins in the MAC for men's basketball, it's always a good boost. So to come home for four games, if they can uh, break the brooms out, that'd be a, <laughs> they'd be sitting pretty. And uh, lastly, in our rundown, good luck to the women's indoor track team. They are back in action on Saturday, January 12th. They head up to the University of Albany for the 49th annual Great Dane Invitational. So they will be running all day on Saturday. So good luck to them. But Matt McAuliffe, you did our interview for today's episode. Who are we talking to today? We are talking to Associate Athletic Director Billy Mecca. And when you talk about building Quinnipiac from the ground up, this man has been here from the ground up. He's been here since day one, uh, over four decades or right at four decades for Billy. And his story is so, so cool. It's so crazy how um, he's gotten to where he is and why he's never left Quinnipiac. So there are a lot of questions to ask this guy and he answered every single one of them. And when you meet him on campus or see him on campus, he's just as energetic and is always willing to say hello to any of the fans. So he, he is a stand-up guy for sure. So without any further ado, let's hear what Matt had to say with Billy Mack. And we're back here for another episode on the Athletics Podcast. I'm Matt McAuliffe doing this interview alone. I'm flying solo. I don't have Dan Ball with me, but we have a very special guest here, Billy Mecca, Associate Athletic Director. How are you, Billy? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Matt. We're excited because, as I mentioned earlier, every coach that we've interviewed, it was I interviewed with Billy, and Billy kind of sold this school, so... First of all, before we get into that and your pitch and your strategy, where are you from and how did you uh, find Quinnipiac? Well, I'm originally from uh, Bowie, Maryland, which is in between uh, D.C. and Annapolis. Um, I had the fortune of uh, going to DeMatha High School. Uh, and at DeMatha, um, played basketball, baseball, and football. Probably the last of the three-sport athlete. Um, Graduate from DeMatha in 1974. Had a hell of a run as an athlete there and as a student there. Uh, our junior year, we were the number one ranked team in the country basketball-wise. Had an opportunity to play with Adrian Danley and Kenny Carr, two guys that were pros, and that opened up an opportunity for me to follow through on basketball at the Division One level. Took a scholarship to Niagara University. Played at Niagara for... Uh, Four years. Another Mac school. Another Mac school, right? And from Niagara, end up at Quinnipiac as a 21-year-old. Uh, come in 1978 to Quinnipiac, my head coach at Niagara, uh, Dan Raskin, um, had worked at Quinnipiac back in the uh, late 60s. There was an opening and took a trip down here and just fell in love with the campus back in 1978. And I've been here ever since. So you have been here ever since 1978. And I think that's a crazy number. 1978 or 41 years? 41 years is a crazy number. <laughs> well, you know what? My plan was to never stay at Quinnipiac. You know, from being back home, being at DeMatha, and being in the big time, um, Quinnipiac was small. It was. 
1,400 students. Uh, and as a basketball coach here, uh, when I first got here, amongst seven other jobs, if you could spell Quinnipiac, I gave you an academic scholarship. So academically, we weren't real strong, dude. So, <laughs> right. yeah. But I knew, I knew I was bigger than Quinnipiac. I knew the Lord had put me on this planet. So um, I could be a Division One basketball coach, a head coach, uh, cut down a net uh, at a championship game and be in the cover of Sports Illustrated. I mean, I knew that's why I was born. Uh, and as that story continues, um, every opportunity that – I had to leave this institution. The Lord would put an obstacle or a speed bump in my way. So at 24 years old, I'm heading down to uh, Maryland because I got to then drive to St. Francis, PA in Loretta, Pennsylvania because I'm going to take a job as a Division One basketball assistant. Now, when I first came to Quinnipiac, I was golf coach, tennis coach, sports information director, assistant. Uh, you were wearing a lot of hats. Seven, eight different jobs, right? Which gave me great experience, but it was a lot, and I wanted to do hoops. So I said, you know what? Let me move forward with my dream to be a basketball coach. We'll go to St. Francis, uh, PA. And on that train ride, I pick up a magazine. People magazine. And they actually had that back in 1978. <laughs> we still got it now. No, right? they still got it. I, still I, I, it. I still check out at the stop and shop and see a couple exactly. people magazines. So now I randomly open the page. And as I open this page, it's a story about a woman who has lymphoma. And I read the story and I'm interested. Something about the story keeps me reading it. And this woman finds out she has cancer because she touched the left side of her neck. Now, as she touches her neck, she notices she has a lump on her neck. Now, that's where I stopped reading the story because I touched my neck. And on my neck, I had a lump. And then I had a pit in my stomach because I knew I had cancer. Wow. My mom was a nurse. Uh, she was alive back then. And she goes, Billy, you're a hypochondriac, dude. You're fine. And I went, no, Mom, I'm not fine. Now, I had been married for three years to my high school sweetheart, Jeannie. Um, I don't go to St. Francis, PA, because I got to get back home. Because you had that pit. Because I had that pit. Something was wrong. I go back home. I tell my wife. And she goes, dude, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, you probably got a cold. And I'm like, nah, it's more than that. That Monday morning, I go get a chest X-ray. Uh, and within, I don't know, Matt, maybe within an hour, I'm sitting in a doctor's office, and I have a mass the size of a football in my chest. Uh, I have that lump on my neck. And at that point, they're 99% uh, sure I got cancer. Uh we do a biopsy. Uh, I ended up having Hodgkin's disease uh, and two years of chemotherapy uh, while still working here at Quinnipiac. Um, that's the first time I stayed, right? So that was one of the obstacles. That was one of the obstacles, right? So uh, That made you stay? and Well, it just had me stay because it wasn't the right time, right? I had right. to get better. I had to get healthy. I had to get back. I had to, I had to beat this, right? Right. Um, and, you know, as I look back at those times— uh, 
I was raised a Catholic, uh, and I really started relying on my faith. And, and what I thought was the right way to approach the next step of my life was to make deals with God and to let God know that if he helped me get better, I would do X, Y, and Z. And, I mean, I was always raised the right way. Uh, I always made the right choices, give or take. Um, but as I look back, I think a lot of what I did was conditional. Uh, conditional in the sense that, yeah, Matt, listen, dude, you want me to do an interview with you? I'm going to do the interview. And right. I know when, when it's done, you're going to be like, damn, Billy was really, really good. Um, and that's what I used to do, right? Um, I got better. Uh, you know, the mass of my chest had, had shrunk after two treatments to the size of a, uh, a baseball. Um, chemotherapy was awful. Um, but I got better. Um, and then I lay my claim to Quinnipiac, right? I end up having a role that I'm in for 10 years, and I become the head basketball coach here at Quinnipiac. Right. Uh, and thoroughly enjoyed that opportunity. Now, at this point, were they Division One or not yet? We were still Division Two. Okay. So, no, I do that run for six years. Uh, enjoy every moment of it. But as six-year ends, uh, we get a new AD coming in, Jack McDonald. Uh, and the dual role that you would have back then of being a coach and an administrator, because I always wore the administration hat, that was going to disappear. Uh, and I was faced with one of those professional – dilemmas do I want to be a coach or do I want to be uh, an, administ yeah. an administrator right do I want to oversee and help and support or do I want to do this for a living uh, and you know being division two basketball coach was pretty cool right because six months you work six months you could do whatever you wanted <laughs> uh, so I played a lot of golf I played some tennis I was also the tennis coach um, but there was something in my back of my mind saying you know what there's something else out there for you, Billy. Um, there's more there. I got tired of dealing with 13 knucklehead basketball players. Um, <laughs> now, I don't know what was calling me, but I do know I didn't want to be in a situation where you take over a program that's going Division One because at some point you're going to reach a level where they're going to look to move you out. Right now, John Leahy was the president. That's one of my closest friends, and all he wanted from me was to follow through on his dream of me being a coach. Right, my father Billy followed through on this. This is your chance. But um, I had just my youngest Christina was five. Little Nikki uh, was probably a month old, and. I made the decision, you know what, I'm going to back away from coaching and, and I'm going to jump into this administrative role. Um, and as the story moves from that end on, um, it was a time of change here at Quinnipiac. And as Jack McDonald comes in, Jack McDonald's vision is different than what my vision was of what Quinnipiac was when I was here. Okay. Uh, and now I've learned to understand that change um, isn't always bad. So things were changing here at Quinnipiac. And then it became time for me to think about, you know what? Maybe I want to be a boss. 
Marilyn was calling me, let's get back home. So um, I had a phone interview for an AD's job down in Maryland. Uh, and setting up a, a visit, they want me to come down. Right. And as I hang up the phone, I start getting terrible pains on the left side of my, my body. Uh, incredible indigestion that I've never had at a level. Was this another one of these obstacles? This is another one of these obstacles. I had a heart attack in this chair 18 years ago. Now, like a dumbass, I go on the Internet, <laughs> which back then I wasn't computer savvy, but I know how to look for the four for the five signs of a heart attack. Well, I got four of them. But somehow convinced myself I'm okay. So <laughs> I end up, um, I was supposed to pick up little Nikki. I told Jeannie I can't get her. Like, you're going to have to get her. And not feeling really well, a little nauseous, uh, a little under the weather. Head home, um, take probably uh, 20 antacids, a handful of aspirin, and kind of just pass out on the bed. Now, I wake up four hours later, uh, pretty washed out, um, but in no more pain. Uh, but something's not right. Now, that's kind of scary if you go, to, you go to sleep for four hours. and Yeah, I'm telling anybody out there that's listening to this, any chance you have, any thought you have that there's something going on with you, you get to the doctors, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, males in particular are going to fight it. And I was one of those dumbasses that fought it. Um, ultimately, I get to my, my uh, primary doctor. Uh, take an EKG and I'm still in 18 hours later I'm still having a heart attack um, so they rushed me to the hospital and I remember Matt that my only concern when I was in the back of that ambulance um, was don't turn on the sirens like I didn't want to be scared right and growing up anytime the sirens come on um, that means danger that means something's there dude yeah. right um, okay we won't put them on and as I'm driving down 91, and unfortunately, uh, it was one of those ambulances that the back was wide open. They didn't have tinted windows. So I'm looking out the back. They're looking in at me, and I'm thinking to myself, damn, these people are looking at me going, damn, this dude's in trouble, right? Well, the sirens go on, and I'm like, oh, no. They rush me in, and by the grace of God, I got a guy in there by the name of Peter Sukas, who's a magician. Um, and they're able to put three stents in. Um, and I'm good, dude. Like, if you've never been in cardiac uh, intensive care, dude, it's like a five-star hotel. Like, it's bougie, dude. Like, <laughs> I've never been more comfortable. I can breathe again. I got no more chest pains. And I'm like, life is good. Um, and for three weeks, uh, I couldn't have been better because I was going to be okay. Now, how old were you at this point? I was 42 years old. Okay. And I was going to be all right. Um, you know, before that, my cholesterol was at like 300. I didn't pay attention to it. You know, when you're a basketball coach, uh, spent a lot of time on the road. I spent a lot of time in bars. I spent a lot of time drinking. I spent a lot of time chicken wings. Uh, burgers, fries. Burgers, you yeah. name it. All bad <laughs> stuff, right? Yeah. And I got my cholesterol checked one day, and it was probably at 300. And the doctor said to me, listen, if you don't change your ways, dude, you're going to have a heart attack. And I looked at him like, yeah, dude, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm going to be fine. Um, and after my magician, Sukas, put those stents in, 
I took it all for granted until one day I had to go three weeks later to a follow-up meeting with Sukas, my doctor. Sukas ain't there, dude. And I meet a guy by the name of Bernard Adelsberg, who's another associate. I go in with Jeannie. I sit down and he goes, you might have been the biggest mistake in medical history. And I went, Doc, dude, what are you talking about? And he was like, Suka should have never done what he did. And I'm like, what do you mean, dude? He goes, he should have cracked open your chest because I promise you this, you're going to have open heart surgery and you're going to have another heart attack. It was because of the stents? Because whatever was going on inside of my arteries was confusing enough to this doctor to say, that's not going to work. And we're going to see you again. And guess what, Matt? I got that same feeling in the pit of my stomach, dude. Did they did they end up seeing you again? They never saw me again. But that pit stayed. Because see, with cancer, I was never going to die. And you knew that? I knew that because after two weeks of treatment, that mass in my chest had shrunk. I knew it. But when this dude told me that I was going to have a heart attack and they were going to crack open my chest, I got scared. Because for the first time in my life, I had to wrestle with the fact what happens to Billy if he passes away? What happens to me when I die? And I became scared. Now, my wife is like, is. How does it get? She's gorgeous. She's kind. She's understanding. She's going to find another man. And as long as she marries for money, I'm good. My <laughs> daughter's going to miss their daddies, right? But they'll be yeah. okay. But what about me? What about Billy? And Well, you hope that you'd go to heaven. and Well, right there, I wasn't sure. Okay. So as I ran away from religion as a Catholic, right. it was kind of forced down my throat. I kind of backed away. I made deals with God. And then I started wrestling with the fact I don't know what happens to me when I pass away. Uh, and I was afraid, and I didn't sleep, and I was depressed, and I was sad, and I was angry. And then through the grace of God, my mother-in-law in particular, uh, and my dad, um, one morning crying in the bathroom, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And that day, everything became so clear. And... That burden, that stress, that uncertainty was washed away. And from that moment on, I knew why the Lord kept me here, and I know why the Lord wants me here. And I know 18 years later, I know what my role is, and I know what unconditional support is. I know what true love is. I know what compassion is. I know what passion is. I've learned to do what's right, the right way at the right time. Um, and you feel like you, you can feel all of that here at Quinnipiac. Well, that's why he kept me here. Yeah. And there's countless student athletes and staff and general students that come in and sit in those chairs. Um, and what I learned was the greatest gift you can give somebody is time. And if you combine that with encouragement, you give somebody hope. And 
that's what I do, and that's what I attempt to do on a daily basis. So I kind of want to switch gears and kind of bounce off what you just finished with there. So now that we know who you are and your story, again, I've talked to these coaches, and whenever they come for an interview and want to coach at Quinnipiac, it, it seems like you're the guy to kind of give them the pitch. So what is your pitch? What's your strategy when a coach comes in looking to get hired? Well, I think what always happens here at Quinnipiac, I think the one thing that still doesn't have that barbershop um, – mentality the is the name and I think we fight the name I think we fight Quinnipiac right and what I got to try to explain to him is um, this is a real place made up of real people and I share my story and I share my story that um, why this wasn't big enough for me why I needed to be at Maryland or Villanova and not Quinnipiac and then I tell them why I stayed and how I stayed and what type of place this is and it's a place that you can have an impact and it's also a place that can impact you and as I sit there and talk to my staff and tell them a little bit about this place or recruits whatever it is I always let them know that impacts a two-way street that you're sitting in that chair because we think you can have an impact now whether that's as a coach or whether that's as a student athlete but I promise you this let this place have an impact on you find a place that can make you better than what you were find a place that has support systems in place that can impact you and make you a better person and I share the vision I share the dream uh, and I share that um, anything's possible at Quinnipiac because all that's accomplished during my 41 years here I got a real vivid imagination I would have never thought we could have done some of the things that we've accomplished here I mean you now have 21 division one sports you now have a school that has reached or approaching 10,000 kids, and you have been here from, from the beginning, which is crazy to say. So do you have any favorite stories? Do you have one favorite story that you'd like to share? You know, man, I think the thing with Quinnipiac is it's just a story of how could this have happened? Like, how could we have a medical school? How can Quinnipiac have a medical school? How can Quinnipiac have a law school how can Quinnipiac have 10,000 undergraduates how can how can Quinnipiac make two foos and fours in hockey how can it get to the championship game with a chance to go a sweet uh, 16 a sweet 16 for Trish uh, three national championships for rugby big east in field hockey um, all of it um, no one could have thought could possibly happen right but the one constant through it all uh, during our 30 years of growth um, was John Leahy, and John Leahy never blew an uncertain trumpet. And he's probably, if you've been here 41, he's right behind you. He's been here 30, 31 years, <laughs> right? So, um, see, no one understands where, no one can appreciate where Quinnipiac is unless you know where we were. And I certainly know where we were, and I certainly know the, the, the steps that were taken. Um, and from going Division two to Division one. Um, was mind-boggling to me uh, to get into the AC, ECAC hockey. Yep. You, you look at things that have happened to Quinnipiac over the course of the last 30 years. I mean, even just from my time, there's a brand-new soccer stadium. That that wasn't here when I got here. No, soccer lacrosse. You got a field hockey stadium. Um, but that one move to ECAC in hockey where you were getting credibility and you also were partnering up with those Ivy League schools gave the outside world when they read the paper a chance to say, damn, what is it about Quinnipiac? 
they're with Yale, they're with Harvard, they're with Cornell. And it gave us credibility. I think the greatest story, one of the funniest stories of my time here was uh, we do a site visit for the ECAC. They have to make a decision whether they're taking Quinnipiac or whether they're going to take Holy Cross. I did not know that this, it came down to those two. Those two schools, right? (laughs) Um, right. So they come in and spend a day with us. Well, during that time, um, obviously Leahy could sell anything. Um, So he shared his dream of what this institution was like. But at that point, we were playing in the Northford Ice Pavilion, which probably seated about 350 people. And where are we going to play became a question. Well, once the ECAC came in town, John and Pat Healy, who was our uh, vice president of finance, said, we're going to build a place up top on that hill. And that morning, to prove we were sincere, they took an old, non-working bulldozer, (laughs) put it on the back (laughs) of a truck, in the bed of a truck, and parked it on the hill (laughs) up there by the People's United Center. And then drove the fellas from the ECAC around to up, say, up the we're getting ready to break ground. Now, that thing didn't work, dude. But it <laughs> gave the impression, they didn't know it. <laughs> it gave the impression that we were ready to go. So um, two years later, uh, you got probably one of the nicest facilities, uh, not only in the Northeast, but uh, probably throughout the country uh, for basketball and hockey. And uh, that facility, and then since the growth of that York Hill campus, has just added another layer of, uh, credibility and added in, and added visibility to an institution. Athletics has become the front porch of many institutions, uh, and it's been the front porch of what we do here. And it's opened up everybody to the idea that you know what, it's a hell of a place to be. So uh, I have one more question, and then we ask three questions to end all of our interviews. So my last question for your job and your position: What do you want your legacy to be when it when it's finally your time when you finally want to retire, or if you want to retire, what would you like your legacy to be? You know what I want someone to say? That it made a difference that Billy was here. And, you know, I don't want to diminish what I've accomplished or what my role has been because I know I've played a role uh, in where we are, not only as a athletic department, but where we are as an institution. Um, and I would like someone to say that... Uh, that was the nicest dude I've ever met. And he cared. I like that. Because that's the truth. It's simple, but it, it is effective. Life sure. is simple, right? Two things in this world, Matt, no one can do better than you. Only two. No one could ever outwork you, dude. We make a determination of when we're going to give up, when we're going to quit. When it's too hard, we give up. I tell people all the time, and I tell myself daily, don't ever give up. Don't ever stop. Don't let any man outwork you. Right. What's the second thing? Don't let anybody be nicer than you. And being nice is a sign of strength. It's not a weakness. Now, when people mistake your kindness as a weakness, well, then you kick their ass. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there it is. So uh, we end our interview with uh, well, all of our interviews on this podcast with three questions. And these are, these are the thinkers. These are the ones to get to know you as a person. So if you could live, the first one is if you could live anywhere in the world besides Hamden, Connecticut, where would it be? My wife and I have always, always had a dream that we wanted to be in Tahiti. So I would say Tahiti. 
to wake up every day with the beach and the water and 80 degrees. As long as I had some family and some selective friends with me, that to me would be just about paradise. Right. And have you been to Tahiti before? It's a dream of mine. (laughs) All right. All right. And the second question is, if you could have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? I would say Vince Lombardi. Okay. I would say Vince Lombardi. Um, For his brain? To pick his brain? Everything about him. What made that man tick? Um, You know, I'm a Washington Redskins fan, a diehard Washington Redskins fan. Um, And... One of the happiest days I can remember, and I was a young kid then, but when he left Green Bay to come to the Redskins, um, he brought hope to that franchise. And I followed him. Um, At 10 years old, um, I was, honestly, now I peaked at 10, so you have to take this with a grain of salt. (laughs) I I was awarded um, the best football player in D.C., Maryland and Virginia. What position? At 10. Running back, dude, I was you, so you were fast? good. <laughs> like, it wasn't even fair. Like, literally, my pop said to me one day, he goes, yeah, son, you're going to be the next Gale Sayers. And I'm like, yeah, dad, but I'm white. Like, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> you're but running back, yeah. At, at, that, at that award ceremony at the Touchdown Club in Washington, D.C., Vince Lombardi gave me the award. And I still have Vince Lombardi's plaque up there with a little note to me. Uh, and... I was 10 years old, dude. Looked at that man, and I was like, you know what? He's special. And, and so, yeah, it would be Vince. No All doubt. right. I like that. And the last question, this one's a good one. I like to debate people with this one. Your last meal, if you're on death row, dinner, drink, and dessert, what would it be? Well, I'd have sangria. Okay. There's no doubt. I'm right. drinking sangria, dude, because I yep. got a glass a day with sangria. I got away from the beer after the heart attack. Yeah. So it would be sangria. Uh, I would probably have a... Um, I'd probably have a nice, medium well ribeye on the bone. Yep. A little cup of French onion soup. And my wife's kale salad. All right. I like, I, I actually like kale. Kale's pretty good. I like kale. Underrated. Yeah, I know. You know no what I'm really, saying? Yeah. No one's yeah. ever really feeling kale, but you know what? <laughs> But really, look, look, really now, healthy for you, dude. But romaine lettuce is getting the E. coli now. Yeah, Kale's, it's getting a bad rap, dude. Kale's, Kale's good. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. And your dessert. I don't do desserts anymore because of uh, calories, but I'd have a nice piece of strawberry cheesecake, dude. So original strawberry Old cheesecake. Old school. Yeah. Old ever, school. Have you ever had a slice of Junior's cheesecake? None better. Yeah, it's good. Really good. Yeah. So I could do that. Yeah. No doubt. All right, and medium, medium well. On medium the, on the well, yeah. I can't do pink. My kids like pink, right? Yeah. But no, I can't. I, I like I, the pink. You like the pink. But then again, but you need a bone in the steak because that's where the it holds all the juice. That's where it's at. Well, thanks so much to Billy Mecca for joining us here in episode number fourteen of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. And Matt, I mean, when you talk about stories, we've talked to a lot of athletes and coaches and personnel from around Quinnipiac athletics, but I'm not sure anybody has seen as much and done as much on this campus as Billy Mecca has. You're absolutely right. He is the mayor of the athletic department. He is out and about. You can find him on color commentating for 
all the basketball games on ESPN. You can find him all across campus and always got a smile on his face and is always friendly and respectful to everyone on campus. So with that being said, that is going to do it here for episode number 14 of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you go online to QuinnipiacBobcats.com. You can get your staff schedules, rosters, tickets, and content, extra multimedia content right there on Bobcats.com. Make sure you do that. Follow all of the social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere else. Make sure you engage with us and engage with the athletic department through that. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We would really appreciate that. Keep an eye out on Instagram for some more uh, video content coming up when we get back for second semester. Matt McAuliffe, if we want to find you, where can we? You know the drill, at McAuliffe7. And I am at Danball, B-A-H-L. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week right back with another episode. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. theme song of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast is Wire and Flashing Lights by Professor Click. Click.